listening to to Monday. Are you ready to truck it? I'm Tuner here with Michael Vincent, the dude. I am ready to truck it. It is a beautiful spring day. Here. It's nice, man. It's I nice. How's your weekend going? <laughs> it was nice this weekend, too. And I had to do a little more moving. So we still had a few yeah. things left in the apartment. We rented a small U-Haul. We yeah. also had to pick up like a couch that we bought and those kind of things. So yeah. Yeah, yeah. we're moving, though. And the last thing I put into the U-Haul is this huge jar of pickles, this giant jar of pickles. And I put it in sideways and I leaned it in. And then we get to my garage to unload this stuff, and my wife is like, pickle juice spilled everywhere. Like, did you not make sure the cap was tight? <laughs> I was like, ah, I thought I did. Well, we cleaned it up, but, you know, it's pickle juice. There's only so much cleaning you can do. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Meanwhile, as we're doing this, the U-Haul is calling my wife up, and they're like, are you going to have the U-Haul back by 2 p.m.? Yeah. Are you gonna have it back? It's like 1.30 right now. And we're like, we're just finishing the unload. We're going to bring it back. We get it there. Before my wife, she brings the keys in to check the van in. Before she even gets back to our car, the guy who was waiting for the U-Haul, he rushes into the U-Haul we left there. No COVID policy, no wipe down or anything. And now all I can think about is him driving away, smelling pickles and being like, trying to place that <laughs> smell. So was this uh, dill or sweet? Or? Oh, it was dill. Dill it all was the way. Dill. Heavy giant Kirkins. These were just jo- like it was a big jar. Yeah. The Walmart yeah. sized jar from your private reserve stash of pickles you have. <sighs> well, you know, during COVID, a lot some of people, people have wine cellars. You there have was a, a shortage <laughs> of mason jars during the uh, COVID pandemic because yeah. so many people were pickling. Oh, is that right? Not my pickles. He must have thought some kind of pickle. Like who's pi- what pickler had this car before me? This guy's driving us. Going, this guy must have had a hot pickle shipment. <laughs> <laughs> Hey, on today's show, we're talking to Michael Cromarty from the Auto Store. Uh, they're redefining workspace. Space right here. Not this kind of space. The workspace. They're redefining workspace and just inked a deal with SoftBank that brings their valuation up to $7.7 billion. Wow. Yeah. Plus much more. Oh, yeah. But... First, let's tip the band. Today's show is brought to you by Redwood, a leading logistics platform company, has provided solutions for moving and managing freight for more than 20 years. The company's diverse portfolio includes digital freight brokerage, flexible freight management, and innovative platform services such as El Pass and Redwood Connect that fill the gaps between logistics and technology. Contact Redwood at TellemDude. RedwoodLogistics.com immediately after the show. Headlines. Yeah. Ooh, I just noticed something. These have Saturn on the cuffs. I can't get that over. It's like looking in a mirror. There we go. There you go. Saturn on the cuffs. Very Pretty nice. nice. Very nice. A little blue hue to these buttons, too. It's like really nice. The rack mount is the company that makes these. A rock mount. You Very look good. very nice. I like your shirt today. Are you fishing for compliments? Uh, no, no. I I'm like just, it. My mom actually got this for me. <laughs> is Thank that right? Mom. I yeah, love it. It was a birthday gift. It's awesome. All right. Catch your breath. The lull won't last long. Not in space shirts, but in freight. This week's DHL supply chain pricing power index is at a 75 in favor of the carriers. Last week, it was also at a 75, and the outlook is a 70. But it's going to get murky as we start talking about the breakdown here. For those of you unfamiliar, the DHL supply chain pricing power index uses Sonar, which is our data platform, and it takes a bunch of indices in there, and it crunches them together, and it spits out who has the power in the market. 100 fully in favor of the carriers, zero fully in favor of the shippers. Tell them why. Yeah, exactly. Tender volumes have declined nearly 10% since the start of the month, but I wouldn't get too used to it. Oh, Catch your breath. The lull is not going to last, my friend. Produce season is ramping up. The combination of warmer weather and vaccines could offset and probably will offset the drag from falling grocery spending overall by consumers as they revert to restaurant spending, my friend. Ah. Consumers continue to drive freight volumes throughout the country with total card spending up 20% from 2019. Um, 
last week, as a matter of fact. The Port Report produced by the National Retail Federation and Hackett Associates is calling for imports to set records now into the summer. Wow. As consumers keep spending on goods. And those volumes actually rebounded over the weekend, too. I was at Publix, and you talk about this grocery spend. I was at Publix on Sunday, and our it was like $450 mm-hmm. for a grocery cart. Yeah. My spend is up. <laughs> well, you had to replace all those pickles. Service, ba- yeah, exactly. <laughs> Service-based spending categories like airlines, lodging, and restaurants are all were all positively impacted by the stimulus. But the five biggest growth segments were in goods. I did look up something though: the TSA check-ins for uh, for airline travel. Right on 4-11-2021, this year, one point five million check-ins on April eleventh. Last mm-hmm. year, ninety thousand. 2019, 2.4 million. So, big recovery, still about 900,000 off. Yeah, that's exactly right. What is it? One, uh, yeah, and so you still got one in four loads being rejected, my friend, yeah. in, in, in the truckloads yeah, as well. Yeah, well, reefers even worse. We're 46%, meaning one in two, nearly one in two loads are being declined. The national drive van spot average from truckstock.com, available in Sonar, rose against this week to 318 a mile, inclusive of fuel. And Zach Strickland says in his chart of the week, this could be the hottest summer ever for freight. Inbound TU bookings are set to exceed 2020 peak by nearly 8% this week. So all these volumes, all this freight coming in is going to mean even more volume. So I don't know. I'm going to be more bullish. I'm going to say I don't agree with that 70 for the DHL pricing power supply chain. No, I think, it's, gonna it's, I think it's going to be revised up. I say 80. Yeah, I'm I with say you. 80 in a couple I'm weeks. I'm with you. In three months? Yeah, Absolutely. I'm bullish as well. Here's a bad story. Two truckers charged in kidnapping for ransom scheme. That's right, Clarissa Hawes. Bad news, Hawes. She reports two long-haul truck drivers accused of kidnapping women and attempting to force them into prostitution or demanding ransom for the return may have additional victims, and the FBI is seeking more information to identify them. One of the big issues in human trafficking situations, a lot of times victims do not come forward. That's one of the biggest challenges here. Mm-hmm. Well, in this case, owner-operator Brian Summerson of Dillon, South Carolina, was arrested in January and charged with battery, false impris- imprisonment, and tampering with a witness. Owner-operator Peter Washington of Chicago was arrested in March on kidnapping charges. It's unclear how many alleged victims are associated with these. Summerson, he is a long-haul truck driver whose primary role is uh, Interstate 95. He's doing that whole East Coast lane, New Jersey to Miami, as well as Chicago and Kansas City, Missouri. When he met potential victims, he told them his name was Vaughn, uh, or Vaughn, and that's what he told the FBI in a statement. Yeah, so according to the grand jury indictment, which was unsealed in April, uh, Summerson's role was to recruit and coerce female victims into prostitution under Washington's direction as well as to extort money from the victim's families in the kidnapping for ransom scheme. Summerson allegedly held the victim, uh, female victims against their will, often physically assaulting them Ugh. and transporting the victims across state lines, according to the affidavit. Yeah, and if a, fict- if a victim refused to work as a prostitute for Washington, Summerson uh, allegedly extorted or attempted to extort money from the victim's family for her return. Court filings claim Summerson and Washington also collaborated on creating and maintaining an online account for ransom payments to be deposited. That ended up being their undoing, thankfully. The woman told the FBI she had received a video call from her daughter who appeared to have visible injuries on her face, including bleeding, swelling, and bruising, and stated that she had been kidnapped because her boyfriend allegedly owed money. The mother said she was told her daughter would be killed if she did not send $2,000 via cash app for that ransom payment. Court filing state the victim's mother attempted to acquire the ransom, but was only able to get 100 bucks. She- 
Wow. She then asked how much money was needed for her daughter to be released, and they said you need $900 more, but it would go back up to $2,000 if she lied again about having the money. You know what got them busted? That cash app account. They put their real information in it. Oh, yeah. yeah. Really? Thank goodness they were dumb dumb enough to do that, right? Good thing for dumb criminals. Yeah, good thing for dumb criminals. Just an awful story. Unbelievable. Here's some good news about a trucker, though. A semi saves lives at a, during a chase in San Diego. This is a wild one. According to Fox 19, um, a San Diego semi-truck driver says he deliberately crashed his pickup truck driven by a murder sub- suspect, ending an hours-long police chase. The Tuesday night police chase of a pickup truck driving by a murder suspect began in Temecula, California, and wound through several counties. The chase included near collisions, the running of red lights, wrong-way driving, driving on sidewalks as well. That chase began in Temecula before ending in Escondido, where that collision happened. Yeah, unbelievable. The driver, uh, the driver, a San Diegan, Ahmad Shaban, said, I was on the phone with one of my friends, saw him pass with 40 to 50 police cars behind him, talking about the, the suspect. He was on the phone with his friends who told him that their driver in the chase was a murder suspect. 15 minutes later, he sees the pickup truck again, springs into action, and T-bones it with his semi, putting an end to the chase. Yeah, we have a quote from the gentleman here who's driving at Shavon. He says... If he passed, I would have blocked all the cops and he would have run. The second I heard his engine, I floored my truck and I hit him. Had to end it before he killed someone or hit a car or hit a kid. According to ABC10news.com, though, Shaven fears insurance won't cover it because he deliberately crashed the semi-truck. But it's a decision he doesn't regret. Regret, He said, I would have done it again. Somebody had to stop him. Ultimately, it's a piece of metal, and I may have saved a life. Unfortunately, insurance, like he said, may not cover it. You open yourself up to other liabilities. So he did the right thing, but in the eyes of the law, he may not have completely done the right thing here. you got to be careful in those situations. Yeah, you know, it's interesting to me. We talked about this, but really quick, when you listen to his last thing, he says that if he had let the guy pass, he would have blocked the cops, so he just sped up. Yeah. So was he thinking to either hit this guy or, or I'm blocking the cops? Yeah. Right, he had one or two, and he decided I got to hit the guy instead of blocking the cops. Anyways, so Michael Vincent in high school, I was not good enough to play on the intramural ice hockey team we had at Catholic Memorial, but I was good enough to play on the intramural street hockey team we right? had at Catholic Memorial. <laughs> Today we're going to be talking about interstate versus intrastate, and I'm sure those work kind of similarly, but maybe not for the same reasons, like your mom not wanting you to come directly home after school. That's exactly right. We're going to talk to Rick Malchaw. He's the industry business advisor at J.J. Keller & Associates out of Appleton, Wisconsin. Rick, thanks for joining us. Well, it is uh, so great to be uh, with you, uh, Tim and Michael. How is it going for you today? It sounds like you're having fun already today. We're always having fun on, on What the Truck. Yeah, this well, is where you. we bring it, my man. <laughs> How are you doing over there That's in Appleton? Exactly right. And Tim, I've got to I've uh, know for sure uh, if those uh, pickles were uh, homemade or were they uh, purchased. They were purchased. It was, it was a big jar. That's why I was trying to hold on to them so nearly and dearly, bringing them from one house to another. <laughs> It was a rough situation. Well, the is, is there's nothing better than those uh, homemade uh, pickles. So my wife and I uh, do uh, homemade dills uh, every year. Oh gosh, uh, you know about uh, fifty jars of them. So oh, wow. uh, they're awesome. Maybe I'll maybe I'll send you some. Maybe you should. I'll I'll take them in a U-Haul. <laughs> so there there you go. Hey, and that brings up a another question. As a, a reg nerd, I've got to ask you uh, if while you were doing that uh, personal move. Uh, if you were using the exception of 390.3 uh, F3, allowing a, a personal move uh, occasionally of personal property. 
Yeah. So, and this was as far as you know. Yes. Well, this was in. I believe this was an intrastate move. I stayed within Chattanooga, and I know today you want to talk a little bit about interstate. uh, You know, under the uh, where you'd need a CDL to operate anyway in the uh, in the U-Haul. So, well, that's that's good shape. So, let's talk about interstate. Yeah, tell us a little bit about that. What's the difference? Well, uh, the uh, the difference is uh, pretty extreme when you look at uh, what rules you need to uh, to follow. And the thing of it is, is that I always get questions about uh, what rules do I follow and is the move that I'm currently uh, doing inter or intrastate uh, related. And so what really throws people off is most people think that interstate commerce, as the name implies, is uh, you know going from one state to another or from out of the country uh, to a state. And that's certainly true. But the way that the FMCSA looks at it, as far as the the rules go, is what is in the vehicle. And did what's in the vehicle start its journey outside of the state and is uh, heading into the state? Or are the passengers that are in the vehicle, did they start their journey outside of the state? And if that is the case, it can be considered an interstate move, you know, even though the truck itself only stays maybe in their own city. And of course, we see this often with uh, intermodal uh, moves picking up from a, a railhead or a port, but it also could be a last mile or first mile type of delivery. So, uh, Rick, I, let me ask you this because that, that's very interesting. As we weren't thinking about that, about what the, yeah. the commodities we were thinking about, merely the truck's route, if yeah. you will, right, crossing a state line. Right. What determines the origin of those goods? Right. If it comes into a state, say it's LTL or something like that, but if it comes into a state and then cross docks. And then gets delivered inside that state. Is that interstate, or is that still inter? Yeah, that would be considered uh, interstate. The uh, the ICC, the Interstate uh, Commerce Commission, had an interpretation uh, that they issued back in 1992, and it's still what is used today. And that's uh, the the interpretation itself was about uh, interstate moves uh, that spent some time in a warehouse before the uh, final delivery. And in most of those uh, situations, uh, they would determine that move to be uh, interstate. You know, I mentioned before the uh, the regulation in uh, 390.3, the FMCSA has an interpretation uh, of that section, question number uh, 26, that says, well, how do I know the, uh, the difference between uh, inter and intrastate? And generally, that uh, interpretation says, well, it's the... Uh, fixed and persistent intent at the time of shipment. So if the intent was to get it to uh, the, the constant or that final location, then the entire movement, no matter how many vehicles were involved, no matter how many bills were involved, uh, you know, along the way, uh, the entire thing would be considered an interstate move. Wow. So there's a place called Chattanooga Whiskey down the street. So I, I have a trailer of that. Michael Vince and I are team truck drivers. He flies into Chattanooga Airport from mm-hmm. Gloucester, Massachusetts. He was hanging out there doing some lobster fishing. We go to Nashville. But because he flew in from another state, are we suddenly doing an interstate move? Well, not because of the driver uh, flew in. Okay. Uh, now, he, of course, would, would probably need, uh, you know, be, if he's a CDL, uh, to have on his CDL that he's an interstate driver, not be registered uh, with the state as an intrastate uh, driver, but just because the driver came in wouldn't necessarily make it. It's uh, what's in the uh, the vehicle again okay. that would determine uh, whether the movement itself is inter or intrastate. 
Wow, that's interesting. It leads me to believe that if it's produced in Tennessee and then delivered to the final consignee with the or with the intent to deliver it, in, then it's intrastate. But yeah, that if would it's not produced and it's delivered in, in anything that's not produced in Tennessee that gets eventually delivered in Tennessee was interstate, right? Well, absolutely could be. And again, it's uh, who controlled the uh, the movement, uh, you know, all the way through. So. Uh, let's say that uh, you're a, a, a sand and gravel hauler uh, for a, a landscaper. Uh, you know, you are certainly not expected uh, to ask your supplier, hey, did this uh, sand or gravel start its uh, trip outside of the state? You know, nobody's uh, going to care about that. But if you were the one that uh, imported it uh, from out of state, let's say it was a special, you know, rose colored uh, granite from central Wisconsin and you brought that uh, granite uh, into your state, and then you delivered it to, to the uh, final location, yeah, those, those last couple of miles would be interstate because you controlled that movement uh, all the way through. This is one of those topics that when we first read it, we're like, yeah, I bet most you know most shipping managers, they would just brush something. And say, like, I know the difference between interstate and intrastate. Yeah. And they would they would miss out on all these sort of nuances that are, are involved with this. What happens if they make a mistake? What happens when an intrastate driver or vehicle needs to go interstate? Well, you know, in most cases, it's not going to be that big of a deal, right? Uh, the place that it is a big deal, though, is if that driver is involved in a serious property uh, accident, uh, injury accident, or a fatality uh, accident, and the attorneys uh, get involved, and the uh, through the discovery uh, process, they say, well, wait a minute, uh, you were following the less restrictive intrastate rules, let's say for hours of service. Uh, and the driver was allowed 80 hours and eight days in the intrastate rules. And at the time of the accident, the driver was at, at 75 hours. But it's been determined now uh, that that accident uh, occurred during an interstate commerce move. And that driver would be allowed a maximum of 70 hours uh, in, in eight days. Well, then uh, you could have very easily a nuclear uh, verdict in that situation because that driver should not have been on the road in the first place. Wow, it's liability. So how else are they regulated? Well, the, it really depends then on who is doing the, uh, the regulating, uh, right? So when you are making an interstate uh, movement, uh, regardless, again, of how short that movement would be, you're going to be regulated by the uh, FMCSA, and you're going to be following the uh, Federal Motor Carrier Safety uh, Regulations. If you're involved in strictly an intrastate move, uh, then you're going to be following the, uh, the state rules. And again, the state rules oftentimes are a little bit more permissive than the federal rules. And so you really have to be aware of which type that you're doing. And, you know, so often I'll get the question of, hey, I've got this great opportunity, you know, just over the state line. Maybe it's just over the bridge in the same uh, city. You know, what type of permits do I need to get in order to do uh, that move? And the fact of the matter is, is that there are no permits to become, uh, you know, an interstate carrier if you're registered as an intrastate carrier. You need to be registered uh, as an interstate carrier. Now, if that's just the USDOT number, again, not a big deal. You can switch from uh, intrastate to inter as far as your USDOT number, particularly if you're a private carrier, uh, pretty easily. Uh, what takes the uh, time, though, is to get the uh, the MC number and that for higher authority 
uh, that can certainly take weeks to get done. Wow. Rick, this has been extremely insightful. We are out of time, but people who need more information on this, they feel like they, they need a little bit more clarification. Where should we send them to? Yeah, yeah we have a, a, a tremendous amount of information available on jjkeller.com on this topic and a whole host of, uh, of others, uh, including the daily news like uh, you folks were covering at the, at the top of the hour, uh, in addition to the regulatory uh, news. Rick, thank you so much. You'll have to send us a jar of pickles. We'll do a live taste test on air. We, we look forward to oh, it. We should be doing that. Okay, send them our way. We'll, we'll, tri- we'll check them out. <laughs> thank I'll, you I'll very much. I'll a little out for the homies in the, in the, in the U-Haul. Pickle yeah. it forward. All right, now we're joined by Grace Sharkey. She's a staff writer over here at Freight Waves. She, uh, you know, she joined us a couple months ago. She's gotten her feet wet. She's pumping out tons of articles now. Her latest one was on Winona Judd headlining the Highway to Hope virtual concert that's done by some of our best friends over at St. Christopher's Truckers Relief Fund. They hope to actually make this an annual event, too. Maybe it'll be as cool as F3. Maybe Winona Judd could come to F3. Let's see if Grace has any contacts. Grace, what's up? Uh... I don't. Well, I guess technically now I do have the contacts. So let's get this thing rolling. Like uh, the shoot, that would be great to have her at the show. Uh, uh, it was amazing talking to Shannon, and it sounds like uh, Shannon was uh, had all the contacts to put that together. So maybe it's Shannon who we need to call. There you go. It'd be great to have a headliner like that. So tell us about this. When when is this uh, Highway to Hope virtual concert going to happen? Yeah. It is in May, May 16th from 6 to 8. And I am very excited because I actually have already bought my ticket for it. I'm actually going to be watching it with a couple of friends. We're going to put it up on a warehouse and watch it with a couple of my trucker buddies here in Grand Rapids. So I'm excited. It's going to be fun. It's a great concert. I'm sure you saw John Schneider, uh, good old Bo Duke is uh, going to be on there as well. And um, he actually has a new album that dropped uh, last week. April 2nd and it is phenomenal. So if you guys haven't listened to that either, check that out. Proceeds to that album actually go to uh, St. Christopher as well. So uh, she is working her tail off over there, Shannon, and uh, I'm excited to see what else she put together here. Now, Grace, is this an insult or not? You said Clubhouse is the 2021 version of conference calls. That seems like an awful description of a social media site. Like, oh, I can't wait to go on a social media conference call. But I was reading the article, and you actually seemed pretty, like, bullish and positive about Clubhouse. So which is it? Are you throwing shade at Clubhouse here, or do you like Clubhouse? <laughs> I think that was actually Jolly's quote. So let's put that Chris one on Jolly. Uh, Chris Jolly's shoulders. <laughs> you know, I'm, uh, it's funny, you and I were talking about it. I'm, uh, I'm very for it. I think it's a very interesting platform. Uh, one thing I've really enjoyed about it uh, recently is the number of truck drivers actually on the app looking for advice on how to become owner operators or how to just tying up their own operations. I think what's really thrilling about something like Clubhouse is you get to realize that some of the common knowledge that we all have of the of the industry, like interstate, interstate, perfect example, is just completely over a lot of people's heads. They just don't have any contacts to learn about the ins and outs, especially of trucking. So uh, every single day that I go on that app, there's a question either thrown my way or someone else's way where I... I'm just uh, flabbergasted that, you know, that information isn't readily available to everyone. So for me, I just love learning 
how different groups are educating each other so that they can actually become powerful as a unit. So it's a different way of reaching out to people. And, you know, maybe we do all want to be on conference calls all day long. <laughs> yeah, maybe not. I <laughs> never know. Uh, but Michael, I, I got to tell you something. She says common knowledge, though, but like, so, you know, a lot of times not in supply chain, because of the common use of terms, the shared use of terms, there's a lot lost in translation. And no lie, we'll be honest, you and I, before we, we did the segment on intro and interstate, we were like, I mean, how much could there be to talk about? And then we yeah. realized just how ignorant and wrong we were as we were talking to J.J. Keller. It's completely true story, right? It's 100% true. It, it, there's even, we've been in the industry for years thinking, yeah. well, this is a very simple subject. Well, no, it can get actually very, very complicated. It can get very complicated. You know, sometimes your blind spots get bigger the more you've been in here, too. And, and that's part of the problem, too. You're exactly right. You get those horse blinders on and you start seeing focused tunnel vision. I am not. She's a fan. You're a fan of Clubhouse. I am not. Yeah. I was. I was invited by somebody who's <laughs> not a fan, and I knew he wasn't a fan when he invited me, <laughs> Tim Dooner. And so I didn't. I didn't accept it. He said, "Hey, try this out. It sucks, but try it." Yeah. Anyways, uh, let's let's talk about another thing that maybe we assume people know very very well is the carbon footprint of a truck. Yeah. Can we get into that a little bit? What is the carbon footprint of of the truck? I, I assume that I know what it is, but maybe you got some better insight. Wait, hold on. What is your guess then? That it is just what fuel does it burn or does yeah. it go further than that? Okay. Right? Yeah, it's it really is. It comes down to the fuel that you're burning. And so it will fluctuate based on diesel versus gasoline, right? So uh, it can be different per vehicle, but it does come out to the amount of fuel, how, mu- how many miles per gallon you get, correct? So um, I think what's very interesting is... I started thinking about it in regards to like EV engines like that. Okay. Well, after diving into this equation, it's, it makes complete sense of why you would want to switch over to some type of different uh, fuel for your, for your vehicle. Um, One, you're not going to pay for that anymore. Electricity, there's ways to pay for it, but still. Um, And two, you just eliminate all of those uh, fossil fuels and all those greenhouse gases. So um, I think, it comes out to about 14 times more costly than the average human being a year, a truck is. So imagine if we can eliminate that uh, down to zero, uh, we're going to do a lot for our, our environment. So um, yeah, I was, I was very surprised by how much greater I thought it, it, it was going to be. I thought it was going to be closer to maybe two or three times worse than an average human's carbon footprint, but uh, yeah, nowhere close, nowhere close at all. <laughs> well, so I did my part. Speaking of humans, carbon footprint, I was mm-hmm. at Lowe's over the weekend and I bought a cobalt elect. Uh, it's a battery powered string trimmer. Okay. It came with a leaf blower. And I got to tell you, battery technology has come a long way. Oh, like, yeah. It worked really, really well. Yeah, no, they're awesome. It's so simple. You just pop the battery and the batteries are modular. They yeah. work in any device in like the cobalt line. There's other brands that do it too. Mm-hmm. But you just slip the battery out. You put in the leaf blower. You put in the string trimmer. You don't have to pull it. You don't have to worry about mixing any uh any, any gas with the oil, none of that stuff. It's just good to go. Yeah, it's no, awesome. Yeah, I use them exclusively. My lawnmower is not uh, electric, though. I have an electric lawnmower it. from Cobalt. It was not that it, The problem is the demands of the lawnmower is just too much. I believe that's, I believe that's yeah. correct. I believe that's correct. One other thing that you highlighted, another group we like, is women in trucking, and they've empowered Girl Scouts with a transportation badge. Tell us a little bit about that merit badge. 
Yeah. So I actually was a Girl Scout for the longest. I oh. did ballet for nine years. I quit it just to full-time dive into Girl Scouts. Uh, Girl Scouts is awesome because it gives you the opportunity to learn new skills that interest you. It's nothing that's like pushed on you. Um, and this badge is really cool because it allows you to have a, a full idea of transportation, not just the mode of trucking, but rail, um, a huge one was maritime for them, like having them actually learn about different boats and things of that nature. So I loved it because as a little girl, there's almost no chance that you're going to be exposed to this type of environment, uh, depending on, you know, what your family members do. So for me, looking back at my experiences and be able to learn about, you know, how an airplane even flies, uh, which I suck at. The paper airplane, so I can't imagine trying to learn a regular airplane flies in the air. Uh, it, it was really cool to me, and it, it, I think it's a great badge for uh, young girls that are hearing about truck driving more. Right? We have all of uh, all of these tender rejections at, at super high levels, and I think for me personally, I'm seeing more trucks on the road, especially on the weekend, than I've ever seen. So, uh, what a cool opportunity for these girls. Grace, it's time to spin the wheel of stupid questions. Say, I, you can't see me, but I'm pulling out the wheel of stupid questions. All right, what's it, what are we going to get today? It goes round and round Yay. and round. Spinning around. Where could it land? How dumb could the question there be this time? It can be dumb. They, okay. They've been pretty dumb. What do we got? Right, so, Grace, would you rather cover worst rest stop meals or worst rest stop restroom? <laughs> I actually want to do a meals article. That's like something I've been thinking about doing. So um, I would actually probably do bathrooms to be, to be very honest with you. I'm like, I'm a huge fan of public restrooms. Like I, (laughs) (laughs) that's got to be a quote of the year so far. (laughs) (laughs) People like hate them, but like I actually like the experiences. <laughs> so for me, I think that that might actually be an interesting topic to dive into. We'll see. <laughs> okay. No, you know, Michael Vincent made a good good point earlier. So we we write these questions yeah. out in advance and they all go on the sheet, then we put them on that wheel. And I remember we were writing this one out. He told me that you have to go with rest stops because if you cover meals, you're going to end up covering rest stops anyway. If you cover the worst meals. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's like, yeah that's you're right. If you pick meals, you're probably doing both yeah. anyway. So, Hey, Grace, what's your, when's your next article coming out and what do people have to look forward to? Uh, so I do have a couple, I have multiple articles coming out this week. But just one, I Grace. am... <laughs> Yeah, yeah, just just one. That's what that's what I do here. Uh, no, I'm actually diving deep into driver retention. Beautiful, oh, nice. That's a big topic. Yeah, it is big topic. When's it coming out? We'll be looking for it. Grace, all right, she's gone. Right. Hey, Grace, thank there you go. for joining us yeah. today. Check out her. I love, I love her on stuff. A driver awesome. retention. We ended on like a cliffhanger there. Yeah. Uh, Okay, this episode is brought to you by Triumph Pay. Triumph Pay is committed to providing efficiency and value to all our customers. With our definitive agreement to acquire Hubtran, the combined company will create a fully integrated payments network for the transportation industry, including factors, brokers, and carriers. Visit triumphpay.com to learn how we can drive your business forward together. And right now, oh, you know where we're taking a trip to? Gloucester, Massachusetts. My old stomping grounds. I used to call it Gorton Seafood out that way. Uh, I've been there before. I've been to Gloucester. It's a nice, beautiful area. It is. Nice fishing town. It's Dave Lamont. He's general manager for Cubix, which is a Trimble company. Hey, thanks for joining us today. Hey, great to be here. 
You ever go down the to home the... Of Wicked, where, this is the home of Wicked Tuna, Gloucester, Massachusetts. It is, and also the man at the wheel who says uh, they go down to the sea in ships over in lovely Gloucester. That's right, right in downtown. Wow, well, well beautiful. So what, is, what, is, what do you do at a Cubics over in your wonderful Gloucester location? Well, um, I'm uh, running the Cubics business. We're, we're uh, now actually part of the Trimble Corporation, and um, we are responsible for the transportation division there for them. So we're all about rating, booking, tracking, essentially giving people a transportation management system that um, allows them to manage their freight. Excellent. So, Dave, let's talk about a connected supply chain. What does a connected supply chain uh, mean to you? Can you talk about that a little bit? Well, the connected supply chain, that's really the key strategy of Trimble Transportation. So let me, let me sort of explain what we're doing. We're creating a common open platform for all shippers, carriers, brokers to collaborate and do their business on a common platform. This platform makes it very easy for the shipper to gain access to all the capacity they need and for carriers and brokers to gain access to all the shippers, i.e. the customers that they need to do business with. All the stakeholders are tied together digitally. So pricing and rating information, you know, connects the shipper to the carrier. And they've got the ability in our platform, of course, to transact with one another through tendering and scheduling pickups. And then we sort of tie it all together with a complete visibility solution so that everyone knows where, you know, the truck is and the freight is at all times in real time across the supply chain. We've got over 25,000 shippers in the community and over 1.3 million assets, you know, that are doing business across the, the platform. Wow. I mean, that sounds like a, a ton of integrations bring all these intermediaries and partners together. You kind of outlined some of them, but let's go a little bit deeper. What are some of the, some of the benefits of a connected supply chain? What are the, uh, you know, the return on investment? What are people getting out of it? Well, the benefits are really interesting and they're, they're pretty large. You know, first of all, you know, shippers find all the capacity they need and they find it at the service levels that they need it at the best possible market prices available in that moment in time. And ultimately, what does it mean? Shippers are going to lower their cost of freight. Um, what does the carrier and the broker get? Well, they get to utilize their assets completely and find profitable freight that meets the capacity needs of their network. Now, the most important thing in all this is customer service. So if you're a shipper, you know, and you're delivering to customers, you want to deliver on time or you want to at least give them the right information about when something is coming, set the right expectations. And if you're the carrier or you're the broker, you want to pick up on time. You want to, if you're going to be late, you want to let people know that. So this ability to provide proper visibility, information, customer service, you know, across the platform is really the key here. Yeah, it really is. And that visibility is one of those big question marks that people always have because you want to have that full visibility, but there's so many different moving parts. Can you speak to the technology that, that gives you that connectedness, that, that visibility? Yeah, the technology is really where all the magic happens. It's, it's a 100% cloud-based. Everything that we do here is. And we're focused on three basic areas, procurement, planning, and execution. So first off, we have this really powerful real-time rating engine that has direct API connections to hundreds of LTL, parcel, truckload carriers, as well as a way to handle sophisticated uh, you know, contracts as well. And then we also allow customers to compare prices and modes in real time so they can really decide, you know, what's the best mode to pick at what rate? You know, should I go parcel? Should I go LTL? You know, what's the right way to manage this load? 
And then we have tools to electronically tender the loads, of course, either individually or in a waterfall approach and schedule the pickups. And for more complex shipping, you can consolidate loads and you can optimize shipments to drive really the most efficient and cost-effective shipping method. We've also, you know, as I've talked about already, integrated to the Trimble Visibility Solution, so you get real-time status events, uh, update events, and alerts that can be shared across your own customers and your own warehouses. And then it's important to note that we've built integrations to just about every major ERP supplier in the market today so that order information flows seamlessly directly into our transportation management systems. You don't have to rekey anything in. And then shipping and invoice information from our system goes right back into the ERP system. And then we offer a very comprehensive approach to automate the audit of freight bills. So you don't even need outside freight auditing firms any longer with our system. And we can also manage DL coding and supplier allowances in our financial packages. All of these capabilities are packaged in a modular way, kind of a straightforward user interface that Gartner Group has recognized really as the easiest to use and, and, and fastest to implement systems in the market today. You know, Connected supply chain, definitely extremely important before the pandemic. But mm. since the pandemic, I think it's even it's, it's accentuated that need for visibility, communication, all of those things. Yeah. What are some of the industry trends, though, you saw highlighted by the pandemic? And was onboarding more of, more of a challenge in a remote world or maybe it was easier when everyone's virtual? No, actually, I mean, we do a lot of things remotely, uh, you know, as we're doing this remotely, you know, so we can onboard people that way as well. What's been interesting about the pandemic is how it affected different industries. So, you know, a boon for some and a heartache for other, just as, you know, we've seen in real life how some people have gotten horribly ill and and other people never seem to get it, Um, you know, the illness itself. Industries like food and beverage, the building industry, they've gone through the roof. Um, You know, I mean, and and the other manufacturing industries, heavy manufacturing industries have suffered along with their suppliers and their carriers. But where those, a lot of these businesses boomed has created, you know, really big shortages of, of assets. And where, where, where there's a shortage of assets, the pricing has exploded. You know, we're, we're seeing loads that would have cost, you know, a few thousand dollars that can cost $8,000 now in, in a lane, uh, you know, a year and a half ago. And quite frankly, this is really all the more reason, um, you know, for companies to invest in a platform like ours that gives them access to all the capacity they need. So if one carrier is not available, they can find another and they can get the visibility to where this freight is available for them, uh, you know, if they're a carrier and, and to be able to keep up that level of customer service that everyone expects. Wow, Dave, great stuff. Uh, if people want to learn more, they want to get their supply chain connected. Where should we send them to? Yeah, it's it's just go right to the Cubix uh, website, you know, cubix.com or the Trimble Transportation website. Either of those will give them tons of information um, that that can help them out. Thank you so much, Dave. Have a great week over there in Gloucester. Yeah, great talking to you guys. Take care now. Take it easy. You know, he's talking about those big shortages that were highlighted during the pandemic. We're in the middle of a big one, which is that that microchip shortage. What's funny about the microchip shortage, though, because they're meeting today. They're meeting in Washington to talk about this one, Michael Vincent. Right, right. It's a self-inflicted wound. I mean, what happened at the start of the pandemic was a lot of manufacturers said, we, we don't think we're going to be selling as many computers, cars, trucks, et cetera. Yeah. Well, they were wrong. Yeah, they were so, wrong. <laughs> so what, what are they going to be talking about in this meeting? Maybe, maybe creating factories here? I don't know. Government surplus? Yeah, I, I, I'm not sure exactly what they, what they need to do there. I don't, I don't know if creating surplus is the key or yeah. some type of regulation there or not, or just, you know, don't be... Don't make the the wrong mistake. Maybe they need to watch Banff. Maybe they need to watch your new show when that comes out. (laughs) Demand forecasting. 
Hey, AutoStore, though, this is the company, speaking of microchips, this is the company that, that got their start dealing with microchips. We have a little video on their background. Let's run it. So originally we were a semiconductor distributorship in Norway. We ran out of warehouse space. So we decided to start stacking the product on top of each other, ultimately having an auto store robot control the bins. And from there, the commercial product of auto store was really born. So our system has been around for 22 years. What we bring with 22 years is our 450 active installations already. By the end of 2020, we'll have over 500. The value of having 500 installations is that our system actually works day in and day out. Joining us now, it's Michael Carmody. He's business development manager over at Auto Stories. Joining us out of Arlington, Texas. Michael, that system looks really, really cool. You got a, you got a pretty exciting job. Well, thank you very much, guys, for being here today. It's really exciting to be on your show. Um, and just so you know, that information that was just played is already pretty old. We're over 600 installations live, and we sold 30 in the last three months. Um, there is a, a very big demand right now for warehouse automation, and that's really important for your audience, specifically your final mile carriers and your 3PLs, because they're running out of facilities to put inventory into and stay close to customers. You're seeing things like Amazon buying up malls and turning them into distribution centers. And we're seeing part of that because AutoStore enables some of that activity. Can you tell us what we're looking at here? We have, a, I think we have another a video here that kind of shows the yeah. warehouse in motion, if you, if you can roll that. And uh, just walk us through what yeah. we're looking at yeah. here. How, how does this work? Absolutely. So AutoStore takes the traditional warehouse and we take all the racks in the aisle and the space out of the warehouse and we put all of the goods into bins. We stack those up to the ceiling and then we put robots on top and the robots really move the bins around and brings them to the human. And when you're talking about what does that mean for a customer, that means that your order picker in a warehouse can go from a traditional 30, 40, 50 orders an hour to around 200, 300, 400 orders per hour with the same human being that is amazing stuff so you've you've reduced the aisles stacked the stuff much more efficiently what are some of the challenges that your 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 customers are finding what is what is this i i understand that it's picking much much quicker uh i, I guess what i'm asking is what size of of this facility do you need to have for it to be to be for it to be efficient does it need to be this large you're talking about micro fulfillment Correct. Um, one of the beautiful things about AutoStore is that it's modular in nature and it can scale all the way up to a whole facility. We have one facility with Puma that has 365,000 bins and 500 robots, but we have other facilities that are very small and maybe have three robots and fits in 5,000 square feet. And what's interesting is the small one can, can perform almost at the same level as the big ones. But it's really about, about the robots, the technology, and how it all comes together to really integrate with your existing WMS and your existing transportation network. So it really is a operational enhancer that gets put into your facility that really gets the full, full capability out of your facility that you're already paying for. Are there any sort of are there any type of customers that this type of solution just wouldn't work for? Maybe picking is is, is too difficult. I don't mm -hmm. know. Maybe it can't work for carpets just because of the size of of the robots. Is there anyone who's kind of disqualified from using the system? Yes, there's really two categories of customers that cannot use AutoStore. That is if your product's too long, high, or, or wide, and it won't fit into our bin, it's just a no-go. Second is if it's too heavy. 
right? We, we, we cannot really put in engines into these things and expect to, to lift them with robots. So there's a 66 pound limit on each of the bins. And that really is the limiting factor. And then last thing is it's not a case picking technology. It's only each picking and e-commerce. So you can imagine with your e-commerce orders, the lines are coming in with usually one, two, three lines. And those are perfect for auto store because you're picking one, two, three items, packing it and sending it. And with case picking, you're typically, you've got different technologies bringing you the products, either in case format or in individual format. So, Michael, I... Um, I'm sorry. Go ahead. I didn't know if you were finished. I was just going to say the one, ch- the other challenge we find is that some customers are too small and they just can't get the capex numbers to work out for their budgets. Yeah, this is not a system that's behind an order counter, right? That I'm going to walk correct. Into a place again. Let me let me not ask you yet. this. Yeah, not yet. I can see where you're going with this, though. I mean, but not yet. Let me ask you this. So it's it's the picking part, and it's each. It's not case. So you're filling cases, I, I suppose. But I mean, it's pieces each. What Correct. about the, what about filling the system? What about the well, other what side? is that doing right there? Oh, yeah. Oh, we got something out there. What is? Yeah, that? it looks like it's dropping stuff into that sorting bin. What is that bin in front of it? Is that where a, a human comes into play here, or is that automated as well? So yes, yeah, so this is the actual port where the human will work, and oh. so the bins and the robots are on top. They drop them into this little elevator that brings you down to the human. This is where the human can then pick from that bin, hit the next button, pick the next thing, and then complete his order, pack it, and send it out to the packing station for the transportation guys. And this is all part of our system, and this is all part of the automation. Now we don't actually implement our system ourselves. We have a system partner, integration partners that will do the actual setup, and they'll have additional technologies that they'll partner in here with some conveyance, some sortation, maybe some pack stations that are outside of the auto store. But the auto store really is the the engine, if you will, for e-commerce. Yeah, no, I mean it looks it looks really awesome. I mean, oh yeah, I gotta say though. So we've we've covered a lot of different warehouse solutions here. We've seen um, like the robotic carts that will follow warehouse workers mm-hmm. around those kind of things. What makes this solution much better and much more efficient? We can kind of see some of it in the video, but mm-hmm. but in your opinion, what would that be? Uh, there's really two main things. One is that the robots don't interact with humans themselves, so it's safer for humans. There is no danger of a human actually running into a robot or being hit or any of that. And the robots can't hit each other because of the algorithms and the artificial intelligence. So these robots last forever. We, we haven't retired any of our robots in 20 years. There's over 22,000 robots, and none of them have retired. So that's a big difference between the AMRs and the AVGs that are on the floor bouncing into each other and other things. And the, their shelf life really lasts maybe seven, eight years before you have to replace that. Did you have 22 years? I mean, it's if you've been yeah. watching the news, you might be like, oh, Autostore, they have some overnight success. $7.7 billion valuation based on that SoftBank deal, mm-hmm. which I think was about $2.8 billion. But you've been developing this for over two decades now. That's correct. And the patents are out there. And, um, you know, we've, we've really been able to make this technology really work inside the warehouse and some of our R&D capabilities are going to um, are lining up to be able to bring that into the stores and have retailers so that you can order online, go to an auto store, open the bin and your stuff is in there delivered by a robot. Interesting. I don't know. Duner, have you ever been to a multi-floor multi, multi uh, uh, warehouse fulfillment center? Yeah. Where they're moving them between the floors? You know what I'm saying? This this seems so, Michael. Does this does this solve that solution as well? How high can this thing go? I mean, I see it going up and down. And it's moving things around. Can this be four or five stories high and and rock and roll or what? 
Um, yes and no. The, the short answer is no, because uh, we typically don't advise to have any kind of mezzanine because we require a very, very, very flat floor. Mm-hmm. And that flat floor means that the bins actually sit on the floor themselves. There, there okay. is no actual like strat uh, rack that holds them. Once you put a mezzanine in there, it's really hard to keep that f- level. So that's kind of out. Now we can go up to about 26 feet mm-hmm. with the robots and the safety equipment on top. It's about 30 to 35 feet, but that's really as far as we can go and guarantee the tolerance. One of the best factors that customers love about AutoStore is we have a 99.6% uptime in production across all 600 locations. And that can run like 24 yes. hours at that, at that uptime? Absolutely. 24 hours a day. Um, you have to have a certain robot. We have two different robot types. And the black line is our 24-hour robot because it drops the batteries when they're out of when they need to be recharged, and it picks up a fresh battery and goes back to work. Oh, I was going to ask um, it. So our, it's not on like an electrified track, like a subway system or something. They're, they're still running on on batteries. Does that have a charging? Is, does that do you have any charging component to it? Yep, we have charging stations that sit around the um, the top within this the cage where the batteries mm-hmm. uh, where the robots work. So they just essentially park themselves and they're charging while they're waiting for the next orders. Oh, so they're constantly recharging. Constantly recharging. And we've just released some software that constantly mathematically updates their paths with, with artificial intelligence. So now we've got a 40% better utilization for all of the same robots than we did even uh, two years ago. So, uh, Michael, we, we, always like to, we always like to highlight uh, like St. Christopher's truckers' funds, et cetera. Let's talk about something that's uh, near and dear to you. Let's talk about the Karma Delivers mm-hmm. uh, fundraiser. Can you, can you uh, speak to that awesome. for us, please? Yeah, absolutely. So Carmen Delivers is my is one of my passions and my team. I've got a team of volunteers across uh, the supply chain industry that um, we put together Karma Delivers as a nonprofit to help communities rebuilding after natural disasters. And we've put a fundraiser together for the North Texas Food Bank because of the freeze that happened in Texas and really impacted millions of families. We Right now, we're about 30% to our goal of $10,000 for that food bank. Um, so we'd really love to have any of your listeners that want to contribute at karmadelivers.org. And then lastly, um, I've been uh, someone from Venezuela reached out to me. They have food donations here in the U.S. that need freight services. If there might be some truckers out there that want to do a donation load to pick up for, um, some food that's going to be delivered to Venezuelans, uh, please reach out. Let me know. I'd love to um, get you connected to help them out. Awesome, Michael. So if we want to send people your way, and thank you so much for joining us today. If we want to send people your way, where should we send them to? Um, please, anyone that's interested in AutoStore, it's autostoresystem.com. Um, just Google AutoStore and you'll be able to find us. If you're looking for Karma Delivers, it's karmadelivers.org. You can reach me at karmad at karmadelivers.org as an email. Thank you, Michael. You were great. We'll have you back on, on soon because there's way more stuff we could awesome. have got yeah. into today. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Thank you. Take care. Have thank a great you, week. Thank you, Tim. Thank you, Mike. Here, hey, hey, a little cowbell for him, too, before he goes. Sometimes people get mad. They'll, they'll message me afterwards. and like, I didn't even get cowbell once during the segment. <laughs> no, and I'm like, oh, I'm sorry. Well, you, you, can't, you can't just spread it around. Anyway. Because cowbell is a big deal. Cowbell's a big deal. It is. So are some of these comments here. Amanda Miller says, Grace is the bomb. Krista Avery says, start a GoFundMe. I'll support him. She's talking about that truck driver who stopped the murder yeah, yeah, suspect. Yeah. There you go. Um, 
uh, someone's catching us from Tanz- Tanzania. Wow, beautiful Tanzania, Africa. Thank you, Samson, for joining us. Wow. By the way, right now on Apple's charts, we are the we are the number fifth ranked uh, podcast in Jamaica. I agree, man. Right? We got to go do a live show. I don't no know how long worries. that'll last, but we were for at least one day. No worries, man. A lot of people here saying Grace. They love Grace. She's her spirit animal. And Eric Bassett says, quote of the year, I'm a huge fan of public restaurants. Yeah, exactly. I, right? have to. I've, I've got, I got you. I second that. I would that. have to agree. All right. Totally. Let's get into a little bad news. Good news. We're going to do this on Friday, but we had to talk to Matt Walsh about this beautiful belt here. So but we had some good stories. So let's still run with them. The good news. You've been, you've hopped on a plane in Charlotte and are headed to Phoenix to buy a truck at an auction. And you have $40,000 in cash on you. You're ready to buy your third tractor trailer for your small trucking company, Triple J Logistics. Sounds good, right? Oh, yeah. Sounds awesome, man. I'm ready to go. It's not good. Here's the bad news. When you land in Phoenix, an undercover cop confronts you in baggage claim. That's right. Fox 46 reports that trucker Jerry Johnson... He, uh, he says, they told me if I didn't sign a paper, he was going to arrest me. He was going to take my money because he thought I was part of a Monday laundering scheme. Records show Johnson signed away 39500 even though he was never charged with the crime. The report filed, filled out by an officer says Johnson stated he borrowed the money from several people and stated the money did not belong to him. Johnson previously served six years for, in prison for cocaine possession and intent to distribute. He was arrested again in 2012 for marijuana possession. He says he has turned his life around and he opened this trucking company in 2015, but his past continues to haunt him as, you know, he got, he got clipped there and he's trying to fight to get that money back. That's amazing. That's amazing. Tough story. Uh, it is a tough story. I don't know if I'd check that kind of cash. No. Out, but uh, good news. Uh, yeah, I got some good news. But don't you have to legally? I think that's why he did it. And yeah, I, I think you do. Him. And you just got to have TSA locks on it and the whole thing. Probably like transporting guns. You can do that as well. But, man, good news is the Utah FedEx ground has awarded you with a few lucrative lanes that uh, you've always wanted to. Yeah, I've been fighting for years for you've those ones. You've been fighting for years for yeah. them. The bad news is... Oh. You paid the senior line all manager, Ryan Lee Mower, $490,000 for the lanes, even though you wouldn't have qualified for those lanes under FedEx policies, and you got caught. Yeah. Well, this is the bad, bad news. CDL Life reports that Hubert, Hubert Ivan Ugart, 52, has pleaded guilty to charges related to fraud and two separate incidents. According to a Tuesday news release from the U.S. last Tuesday, U.S. Uh, Attorney's Office District of Utah, the scheme allegedly netted Ugart's trucking companies $24 million wow. during a seven-year period. Those were some lucrative lanes. Yeah, not yeah. too bad at all. Not too bad at all. Yeah, that other manager when he when he got wind of this, he must have been like, "What? How much did they say he paid? Four hundred ninety thousand dollars for twenty four million? He was probably like, "Hey, wait a second, wasn't very generous with that cut, right? <laughs> yeah, no, he not wasn't really. All right, here's some good news, and this is a crazy story, by the way. You took you j- you took a job, but you're a teenager. You took a, yeah. a job. You live in London. You okay. took a job on a work visa in Melbourne, Australia. The year is 1965, Michael Vincent. We're going right. way back in time. Gotcha. However, you hate the job. You're homesick, and you have, you know, the British tricked you. They sent you to that prison colony over in Arizona. They uh, they tri- I mean, yeah. Australia, not Arizona. Yeah, that's a different <laughs> prison, prison colony. colony in Arizona that I don't know of. <laughs> well, he gets or He hates it. He can't go back, though, because he's on a government visa, so he has to work off the amount of money the government paid to get him there. So he's talking to his friends. He's constantly complaining. They agree to ship you back home to London in a crate. CBC reports the trio <laughs> bought a wooden crate that had the young man, Brian Robson, <laughs> barely fit inside with his knees folded up to his chest. They nailed him in with a bottle of water, a flashlight, an empty bottle, for obvious reasons, a small <laughs> suitcase, a pillow, and even a hammer to break out. 
They cover the crate with labels that said fragile, handle with care, this side up, and it's scheduled to fly from Melbourne to London within 36 hours. So bad, but not that bad, right? Yeah, I mean, yeah, no, it sounds bad. Everyone's <laughs> had this dream of having a friend ship them across uh, the state. Or How the- is that the good news? That's <laughs> I don't understand. Must get, really, must get really bad. He got in the crate, right? <laughs> okay, His plan's working yeah. so far. Okay. Well, here's the bad news. <laughs> Robson ended up inside this crate for five full days. He says, it was terrifying. I was passing in and out of consciousness. I had a lack of, I had a lack of oxygen. Oh, it was bad. He <laughs> says there was an endless amount of stopovers on his journey, which took five days, not 36 hours, five days. He said at one point he spent 24 hours upside down on the tarmac, even though it said this side up on the box. They completely, can you believe can you, a tarmac I've worker never, would do that? I would never ignore it. I've never ignored the label when I worked at Roadway Express. None, 1965 never. to 2021. They still might ignore your label. Be careful if you're shipping yourself. That's right. We would not recommend it. Well, eventually, fearing death and weak, he turned on his flashlight. That's when an air cargo worker discovered him on the crate. And one other thing he said was, when he was upside down for 24 hours, he said, well, I've come this far, so I didn't break out then with my hammer. He, he was going to go through it, even if he ended up as a skeleton. He said within a very short time. So he's, this yeah. guy puts his flashlight on the crate, right? He sees this guy's eyeball. He freaks out. They call over all these FBI, CIA agents. Everybody comes over. 20, 40 people, he says. They, they pry open the box. They pull him outside of it. He's emaciated. He's sick. The box smells not like pickles by someone being in there for five days. It turns out he wasn't in London at all. He was in Los Angeles, California. (laughs) He says the Americans, the FBI, the CIA, and everyone else, they were brilliant. I mean, I fell in love with America because I've never been treated so well. Everybody there really looked after me. And then they just thought, oh, it's this this silly kid who got himself in trouble. Heck, Pan American Airlines flew him home first class and now Robson is looking for those wonderful friends who shipped him back in 1965. And he actually just put a book out on this experience. You can find it right now on Amazon Kindle or in your local bookstore. It's called The Crate Escape. <laughs> it's amazing. I can't believe it. He went 24 hours upside down before he decided to like, a lot of pride. maybe notice somebody. Pride, pride before the fall, five, After five days. This guy's yeah. got some... Wow, staying power. What else we got? Bad news, my friend. Despite a brisk vaccine rollout, coronavirus cases continue to surge in the U.S. CNN reports tens of millions of Americans are not yet protected from the virus, while the B117 variant is now the dominant strain in the U.S. and is fueling a rise in cases and hospitalizations. 4.6 million vaccinations yesterday, uh, uh, Friday. Uh, I got mine. I got two. What's I'm, the bad news? I'm, I'm, What's the good, good news? Yeah, so the good news is this, and you're going to love this. You can now buy a luxury mask to protect yourself. Rapper, oh. will you? Will I am. Huh. <laughs> All right. Honeywell and the guy who designed SpaceX uh, spacesuits have partnered on a $299 high-end mask that includes, get this, dual three-speed fans and a HEPA filters. It's got wow. HEPA filters on it, my friend. Nice air filters. It features Bluetooth connectivity, LED day glow lights, wow. noise-canceling audio and microphone <laughs> capabilities, seven hours of battery life, and a magnetic earbud docking system. It also comes with adjustable straps. It's called the Super Mask, or Zuper Mask with an X, and you can buy it right now. Wow. I, you know, it seems like maybe a year late. Not saying, like, everyone needs to take their masks off, but, like, I, I'm not. I wouldn't be investing like three hundred dollars in a mask now. Maybe like last March or April, I might have considered such a. I mean, I don't know if I'd spend three hundred dollars on a mask, but yeah, I may have considered a little bit more. Interested. What do you think? Do you like the look? I, I love the look. No, I'm not going to buy it. 
No, you're not going to buy it. You don't, <laughs> you don't like to look that much? Not that much. Hey, coming up <laughs> on Wednesday, well, actually coming up on Tuesday, What the Truck Newsletter, FreightWaves.com slash WTT. Get in your inbox 6 p.m. Eastern time. Then Wednesday noon Eastern time, we're back right in your face. We got the Import Yeti. Now, this is really cool. You know, like Panjiva? Yeah. You know, data mine? Yeah. yeah, he's, yeah. he's got a free version of it now. It's called the Import Yet. He spent COVID. He's a Redditor. He spent COVID building the system. Jeff Berman, the founder and CEO of Cocoon. It's a web browser that privatizes your online data. We got ITF Groupon. And Brett Suma, Chief Executive Officer uh, at Lodesmith on Industry Growth. This is McDooner and Michael Vincent. You can find me on Twitter at Timothy Duna. D-O-O-N-E-R. Him at Vincent the Dude. Tell him what to do. Peace and love, everyone. Peace and love.